end up being stretched in line with pressure variations. <laughs> As we noticed that the world is spinning out of control, uh, well, we have a remedy. Jesus Christ, the way, the truth, and the life. That's going to be the topic of my message this morning. Uh, signs of turmoil and uncertainty are everywhere. If you're a Bible-believing Christian, none of this should take you by surprise. The end has been coming for a long time, and it looks like the end may be soon. For 2,000 years, the world has rejected Jesus Christ. God's only answer, the only answer to the problems that plague mankind. But we prefer things to do things our way. Even when the human experience since the disaster in the Garden of Eden uh, leads always to confusion, conflict, misery, and destruction, we never learn from our mistakes. But we don't have to guess at what comes next because the Bible tells us in plain English, spells it out very clearly, the same Bible that accurately predicted Jesus Christ's first coming tells us in detail about the Antichrist who will briefly rule the world before Christ's second coming. Now the rise of the Antichrist, if you've been paying attention, has been heralded by calls, increasing calls for worldwide unity and a so-called Great Reset to usher in a new age of peace and social justice. There's a World Economic Forum now that in the new world is going to control money, supply, and commerce. There's a World Health Organization who will control where we live, what we eat, where we work, how we travel, and when it comes time for us to die. Yeah. Now, you know exactly what that's going to look like because we've been through two years of it with the COVID lockdown. One of the planners of this brave new world recently told us that when it comes, we will own nothing and we will be happy. Yeah. <laughs> the happiness is going to be in short supply. We'll be unleashing a worldwide wars, famine, plagues, and natural disasters on a scale we've never seen before. There will be unbridled demonic activity on earth and great battles in the heavens between opposing forces of light and darkness. You could read all about it in John's Revelation, that's the last book in your Bible, from verse from chapter 6 to 18, spells it out in detail. Now note that the turmoil is part of God's judgment on the world, and that judgment is way past due. Someone has said that if God doesn't punish the rampant evil, he's going to have to apologize to Sodom and Gomorrah. Now, our God is not in the habit of apologizing to anybody for anything. Right. Uh, but that little statement makes us think. This is the time in which we live. But, there's always a but with God. But there is light in the darkness, and it comes as it always has done 
from a man who alone of all men in human history and turmoil has earned the right of Prince of Peace. Experiencing his inner joy and peace requires humility and personal surrender, bending the knee to Jesus Christ as our Savior, our God, and our eternal King. And that's the problem for so many of us. We're such rebels that the price of inner peace seems too high. So we make excuses. And we leave ourselves unprepared for the turmoil that is about to beset us. For the overambitious and intellectually sophisticated amongst us, the elite, the ob objection is simply that there is no God. And we must instead crown ourselves as God. And it's such thinking that has brought the world to the edge of destruction where we now find ourselves. When man appoints himself as God, it never ends well. Other more timid truth deniers argue that God is real, but far away, and the gospel anyway is way too simple. It can't be made easy. These souls would rather trust their own efforts to please God than accept a God who's already done everything for them in Jesus Christ. Some of us, the fortunate few, have turned to Christ. But that doesn't mean we know him or understand what it means to be spiritually victorious in him regardless of our circumstances. It's essential we know this, but many, many of us don't. Now more than ever, it's important that we have a very clear picture in our minds of who he is in all his power and glory and how we must relate to him in times of conflict and trial. So let's ask the question, who is Jesus Christ? Is he the meek and mild one that my mother taught me about when I was a little boy? Gentle Jesus, meek and mild, look upon a little child. Is he the one eager to forgive us for everything, like we learn about in mega churches? Is he sentimental love? Just loves us too much to be nasty to us and judge us for anything at all. He's non-judgmental. He's a good man. He's a teacher. He's a myth. This is the world's opinion. Well, to see the truth, we need only open this blessed book, the Bible, and turn to a representative part of the Bible, like Paul's letter to the Colossians, uh, and find a magnificent presentation of everything that Jesus Christ is. All in all. The Greek word for all appears 31 times in Colossians. And Christ's total supremacy is underlined in this little letter by the statements that he is the firstborn of every creature who created everything, who holds everything together, who fills everything, who reconciles everything, and who makes everything his own ultimately. In him resides 
besides all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge and all the fullness of God. So let's read that together from Colossians chapter 1 verses 3 to 22. Uh, I preached on this about a year ago. Pastor recently referred to this. Uh, but it's so good and it's so appropriate that it's worth looking at again, particularly in the context of this morning's message. So if you'll open your Bibles and turn to Colossians chapter 1, we read from verse 3. And as we read, I want you to think about what it's saying and how it applies to you. We give thanks to God and the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, praying always for you. Since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love which you have to all the saints, for the hope which is laid up for you in heaven, where have you heard beforehand in the word of the truth of the gospel, which is come unto you as it is in all the world, and bringeth forth fruit as it does also in you, since the day ye heard of it, and knew the grace of God in truth. As you also learned of Epaphras, our dear fellow servant, who is to you a faithful minister of Christ, who also declared unto us your love in the Spirit. Epaphras was their pastor. For this cause we also, since the day we heard of it, do not cease to pray for you and to desire that you might be filled with the knowledge of His will in all wisdom and spiritual understanding. Let me repeat that. <coughs> Paul prays for those Colossians and for us that you might be filled with the knowledge of His will. Do you know God's will for your life? In all wisdom and spiritual understanding, is your spirit being fed regularly on the truth of God's word? That ye might walk worthy of the Lord. That's the condition for working worthy of the Lord. That you're close to Him that you read his word, that you hear his word preached, and more importantly, that you act on his word, that ye might walk worthy of the Lord unto all pleasing, being fruitful in every good work, and increasing in the knowledge of God, strengthened with all might according to his glorious power, unto all patience and longsuffering with joyfulness, giving thanks unto the Father which has made us meet or qualified us to be partakers of the inheritance of the saints in light, who has delivered us from the power of darkness and has translated us into the kingdom of his dear Son. And that's where you and I live today. Jesus Christ is our Savior. We walk on this earth, but we're citizens of a heavenly kingdom. That's where our comfort lies. That's where our strength lies. That's where our deliverance lies. That's where the answer to what is coming our way will be found. As citizens of that kingdom, that's where we should live more and more for His presence. Verse 14, in whom we have redemption through His blood, even the forgiveness of sins, who is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of every creature, for by Him were all things created that are in heaven and that are in earth, visible and invisible, whether they be thrones or dominions or principalities or powers, all things were created by him and for him. This world is not the devil's playground. Now he thinks it is. And he's done a pretty good job of destroying it all. 
but this world was created for Jesus Christ and he's coming back to claim it again. All things were created by him and for him. And he is before all things and by him all things consist. For he holds all things together by the word of his power. And he is the head of the body of the church who is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in all things he might have the preeminence. For it pleased the Father that in him should all fullness dwell. My friends, if you have Jesus Christ, you have everything. If you don't have Jesus Christ, you have nothing. No matter what else you might have in this life, in God's eyes, you have nothing. And having made peace through the blood of his cross, by him to reconcile all things unto himself, by him I say, whether they be things in earth or things in heaven. Look at the next two words. He's talked here about Jesus Christ and how incredible he is, how wonderful he is, how powerful he is, how glorious he is. And then we find these two little words, and you. And you. God is interested in you and me. And the and you there means he wants to include you in everything that Jesus Christ is, everything Jesus Christ stands for. But it's not automatic. And even for those of us who know Jesus Christ as our Savior, it's all too easy to keep him at a distance and pretend that we don't need him every day and every moment of every day. And you! that was sometimes alienated and enemies in your mind by wicked works, yet now hath he reconciled in the body of his flesh through death to present you holy and unblameable and unreprovable in his sight. Just pause for a moment and pray. Father, please, as we get into the rest of this word, as we look at your glory, and the wonder of your love for us. Let this word be meat for us, full of your meat, to make us strong and improve our eyesight as we gaze on Jesus. Bless us, I pray, in this moment, in his precious name. Amen. <laughs> Elsewhere in Scripture, Jesus Christ is described as the author and finisher of all things, the enabler of all possibilities between the beginning and the end of everything, nothing exists without him, nothing exists apart from him, nothing worthwhile is possible without his consent. He is God, the word of God, the expression of God, the essence of God, the brilliant radiance of God, the extra dimensional reality of God, and God encapsulated in human form as the enabler of cosmic reconciliation with himself and if that's not enough for you I don't know what else to tell you we serve an amazing God we have an amazing Savior he is God the way God the truth God the life the end of everything is to be forever bound up in the bundle of life with him or to be separated forever from him in the outer, utter darkness of eternal death. One choice. 
two possible outcomes. Let's look further at Jesus Christ. Yesterday, today, and forever. He's seen in history. He's the creator. All things, all things were made by him. Without him was not anything made that was made. John chapter 1 and verse 1, verse 2. He's an incarnation, that is, God made flesh. The Word was made flesh and dwelt among us. John 1 and verse 14. He's a messenger. This is my beloved Son. Hear Him, the Father said. He's a sacrifice. John 1, 29. Behold the Lamb of God who taketh away the sin of the world. That's our Savior in history. But he's also a risen Savior. He's in the present. He's right here. He's a Savior. 2 Timothy 1.10 says of him, Our Savior Jesus Christ has abolished death and brought life and immortality to life through the gospel. He's a comforter. Come unto me, he said, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. He's a guide. He will guide you into all truth. And he's a friend. The most incredible statement of all. This God, this transcendent, glorious being who created the universe with a word wants to be our friend. Wants only that we draw close to him and love him so that he can love us. And in the future, he's a returning king on earth. King of kings. Lord of lords. He's an everlasting king in heaven. In 1 Timothy 1.17, it describes him as eternal, immortal, invisible. He's almighty God, worthy of absolute worship. Revelation 4.11, all the hosts of heaven gather around his throne and declare, Thou art worthy, O God, to receive glory and honor and power. And then, most amazing of all, just as he wants to be our friend, the Bible tells us that if you have Jesus Christ as your Savior, he is our older brother. <coughs> what an extraordinary thought. Jesus Christ, King of kings, Lord of lords, is our older brother if you're part of his family. The firstborn among many brethren, according to Romans 8 and verse 29. This is Jesus Christ, our one sure hope in a world gone mad, where some words no longer have meaning, where otherwise intelligent people can no longer tell the difference between a boy and a girl, where a justice system pardons the guilty and persecutes the innocent. That's America I'm talking about. What's happened to our country? I'll tell you what's happened to our country. We forgot about Jesus Christ. We turned our backs on him. Yeah. Yeah. And the world is spinning out of control. How should we respond to him in a time like this? The prophet Isaiah is very clear on that question. I'm going to quote 
number of scriptures from Isaiah, the prince of the prophets. The last part of Isaiah is a glorious outline of everything to do with Christ and salvation and the saved and the preaching of the gospel. In Isaiah 45 and verse 22 we read, Look unto me and be ye saved. In 46 and verse 9, I am God and there is none like me. In 55 and verse 6, Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call ye upon him while he is near. 61 and verse 10, I will greatly rejoice in the Lord. My soul shall be joyful in my God, for he hath clothed me with the garment of salvation. And then a wonderful passage in 66 verses 1 and 2. Thus saith the Lord, The heaven is my throne, and the earth is my footstool. Where is the house that ye build unto me? And where is the place of my rest? For all these things hath my hand made. And all these things have been, saith the Lord. But to this man, this woman, this child will I look. Even to him that is poor and of a contrite spirit and trembles at my word. Folks, the day is coming when the mighty in this world will be arrogant. Those who think that they have everything planned out and are about to bring in a world that totally rejects God, where they will rule and we will have nothing but be happy. The day is coming when they will beg God for forgiveness and acknowledge him whether they like it or not as Lord and King. Jesus Christ loved righteousness and hates iniquity. He is the light bringer to a world that does not understand light, a world where men choose darkness rather than light because their deeds are evil. But in the hearts of those who love him, his light overwhelms the darkness. In the brief record of his life on earth, we are told he went about doing good. And he's still going about doing good in the hearts of those who know him and love him. So the question is, well, how do we meet Jesus today, right now? Where is he? He's around you. The Bible tells us very clearly. We have a gathering in this room today. I don't know all of you, but I know many of you, and I know that you know Jesus Christ as your Savior. And the Bible tells us, you, you are the body of Christ. You want to see Jesus? He's right here in our midst. Every one of us who is saved contains in us a spark of the divine, holy God. It's real, it's not pretend, it's not something made up by somebody who had nothing better to do with his time. It's an actual fact that we carry about with us the life and the light of Jesus Christ. And when we gather like this, we share that light. We enjoy that light and that life. He's right here. Look no further. He's as close to us as our next breath. 
He's the heart and soul of Christianity. More than a founder, more than a figurehead, more than an inspiration or a leader or a teacher or a prophet. He is our life. The riches of the glory of the mystery of Christianity is Christ in you. We read that in Colossians chapter 1 and verse 27. Christ in you. And as we gather here this morning, he is Christ in us. His transcendent life shared by all those who have surrendered their wills and their ways to his. This life in us is all we have. And it's all we need. In Christ, God entered the world he created, then he entered me and you and us. But spectacular as it is to receive Jesus Christ as a personal Savior, no single human body can contain all of that life, all of that glory. Can contain the immensity of God or reveal him to the whole world. And to do that, he must be revealed in multiple bodies. And they're seated right here and in churches like this. Since the day of his first appearance, followed by his death and resurrection, the truth about Jesus has gradually unfolded all over the world through the centuries as an ever-expanding revelation. It began with him. It continues in this world with us, the body of Christ, in which many individuals behave as one. The Gospel of John has much to say about the greatness of our inheritance with Christ and the responsibility we have to share that inheritance with others. Now, more than ever, we must understand what we have in Christ as individuals and then together as the body of Christ. This is what Jesus had to say about us. We're going to read this incredible passage together in John chapter 17. This is his farewell address to his disciples as he's prepared to return to his heavenly home. And the passage we've just read in Colossians was about Jesus Christ. This passage in John is what Jesus Christ has to say about us and our relationship with him. John 17 from verse 13. He's speaking here, he's praying to his Father in heaven. And he says this, and now come I to thee, verse 13, and these things I speak in the world that they might have my joy, he's speaking about his followers, my joy fulfilled in themselves. I've given them my word, and the world hath hated them, because they are not of the world, even as I am not of the world. I pray not that thou shouldest take them out of the world. Oh, Jesus, please come and save us before the trouble comes. Don't let us go through tribulation and trial and torment and all the horrible things we see happening in the world. Well, Jesus' answer is, I pray not that thou shouldest take them out of the world, but that thou shouldest keep them from the evil. They are not of the world, even as I am not of the world. Sanctify them through thy truth. Thy word is truth. That word sanctified appears here and twice in verse 19, and it means set apart. Set them apart. 
Sanctify them, set them apart through thy truth. Thy word is truth. Set us apart from the world we live in. To think differently, to behave differently, to be different. As thou hast sent me into the world, even so have I also sent them into the world. He's talking about being good. I pray not that thou shouldest take them out of the world. We read in verse 15, why? Because he wants to send us into the world. And for their sakes I sanctify myself, that they might also be sanctified through the truth. Neither pray I for these alone, but for them also which shall believe on me through their word. He's talking about you and me. We believe on Christ because over the millennia, the centuries, Faithful servants of God have preached this word. And you and I sitting here today are the product of that, the result of that. Hallelujah. Verse 21, that they may all be one, as thou, Father, art in me, and I in thee, that they also may be one in us, that the world may believe that thou hast sent me, and the glory which thou gavest me I have given them, that they might be one even as we are one. I am them, and thou in me, that they may be made perfect in one, and that the world may know that thou hast sent me, and hast loved them as thou hast loved me. Father, I will that they also, whom thou hast given me, be with me where I am, that they may behold my glory, which thou hast given me, for thou lovest me before the foundation of the world. O righteous Father, the world hath not known thee, but I have known thee, and these have known that thou hast sent me. And I have declared unto them thy name, and will declare it, that the love wherewith thou hast loved me may be in them, and I in them. Fear not God's people. His light is in us, and it's greater than anything that will have. So this leaves us with a challenge this morning. Yes, we do live in a time of great danger, and yes, it seems that the Antichrist is moving men and nations like pieces on a chessboard to achieve his ultimate goal. One world, world united in homage to him alone. That's his aim. He wants to steal Christ's glory. And we have a clear choice as Christians to hear this day or to see it as a day in which we are highly privileged to live. We can lament the gathering darkness or see it as a preparation for the dawn of Christ's return. And the life we now want to live, the life we live today as a life of great promise. We've got this amazing opportunity to shine like beacons in the darkness, to tell one other person about Jesus Christ, to save them from the wrath to come. What an opportunity. What a fantastic privilege it is to share the gospel with someone who doesn't know the truth, someone on their way to hell, someone doomed forever. We have that privilege. 
He's given us the words of eternal life. And he says, share it. You know, if we had obeyed him from the beginning, this world would be a perfect place by now. If everybody on earth became a Christian, what a place it would be. What a wonderful place. But we've been disobedient. We've been selfish. We've been kind of comfortable. Until something bad happens and it gets our attention. We can choose to hide our light under a bushel or shine brightly for all to see, pointing others to Christ. So the question for you and I this morning is, where do you fit in to this narrative? Does your life demonstrate the reality of Christ in you, the hope of glory? And if not, is that at least your desire? Would you like to have that? that you would reveal Christ's light in the darkness? Is that how you would like to see your life here today? To live not for yourself, but for your Savior, who loved you and gave himself for you? It's possible in a crowd like this that there are some here who never have bowed the knee to Christ, who until this moment have rejected the Son, the window of opportunity for you is rapidly closing. Not to scare you, I'm just telling you the truth. There's opportunity for you to change your mind and bow to Jesus Christ. Now, none of us know the day or the hour when this will all end. But why wait to find out you're on the wrong side of history when it does end? Now is the time of decision. Now, today is the day of salvation. If there's ever been a moment when you should decide to commit your life to Christ, whether you're a Christian who's backslidden or lazy, or you're not a Christian at all, you found your way in here this morning, and you've heard a message that hopefully has got your attention, and you decide today is the day I need to make things right with my God. As you think about your decision, be aware that you cannot come halfway to Jesus. Whether you're unsaved or saved, you cannot come halfway to Jesus. It's not Jesus and, Jesus or, Jesus as the caboose on the end of my train. It's Jesus everything. Everything. Our lives should be absolutely wound up in his life bundled up with the life of Christ. There should be no other impetus than to serve him and to rejoice in him. Especially at this time. Moses declared to the Israelites as they stood on the border of the promised land, I set before you this day life and death blessing and cursing. Therefore, choose life. The challenge for us today is to choose wisely. Both about our lives as Christians or 
right? The non-Christians, <coughs> they today choose wisely. It's not a light moment in your life. They may come when you look back on this moment and think, man, if only I had heard, if only I had done what I could feel God tugging at my heart to do. I've been a Christian for years, and I've been full of taking it easy, trying to get serious and easy. Or I've been resisting God for years, and it's time now that I bow the knee. These are the choices they face us. Think about that while we bow and let you pray. Father, thank you for this opportunity to